Welcome to the Pain-Free Fitness Podcast. I'm your host, Mariah Heller, and if there's one thing I've learned after being a fitness and health professional and a chronic pain sufferer for over a decade, it's that every body is unique. On this show, I sit down with health and wellness experts in an effort to gather as many different perspectives, journeys, and philosophies as possible. Join me in cultivating a collective growth mindset and challenge yourself to take away just one key point from each episode that inspires you to think or behave differently. Have a pain-free day and enjoy this episode. Welcome everybody uh, to another episode of the Pain-Free Fitness Podcast. I'm your host, Mariah, and if it is your first time here, uh, I just want to kind of let you know that this podcast is all about creating and cultivating a collective growth mindset in the fitness and wellness industries. And the way that I think that we do that is by having a lot of conversations, you know, getting some different perspectives, seeing how people kind of wound up where they are. And, you know, I think my goal and my definition of success for every podcast episode is to just take away one thing. Like if that's all you get today is just kind of one thing that you can take away and maybe think about or apply or, you know, anything like that. I think that would be a, an awesome, an awesome outcome. And I think with my guest today, that's going to be a really easy thing to do because he is pretty awesome. So my guest today is Ren Jones and uh, Ren has a lot of credentials. Uh, so he is a certified personal trainer. He is also a sports and exercise uh, nutrition specialist through Precision Nutrition. I love that program so much. We can talk a little bit about that. Um, and he is a corrective exercise specialist as well, which again, right up my alley. Love that. Um, and I know you've had kind of quite the journey to get here and we'll talk about that, but Ren, thank you so much for coming on. It's so awesome to have you. Man, I am so excited to be here, uh, and, and get an opportunity to chat with you. Um, it's, it's always such a privilege to me. Anytime that someone wants to hear anything that I have to say that they think might improve the lives of their listeners or, or even their life, I, I, I always think, man, what a, what an honor that is that there's a human out there that thinks that I have something to offer their one existence, right? Man, well, that's a big deal. So I always try to honor that by showing up. I'm always happy to speak with excellent professionals like yourself. And I'm excited. I'm excited for the talk today. It, it could go either way. It's either way, we'll get a story. It'll be incredible or go horribly wrong. And I'm, I'm here for either one. <laughs> it's it's good it's like a cliffhanger moment I feel like it's gonna go really well but I guess you never know right it's <laughs> I love it well yeah and I mean I I felt like I just had to have you on and I've been following your page kind of lurking for a while I'm a really I'm not very good at social media I don't really engage very much and I know you're supposed to do that usually I just kind of lurk and I'm like man that's a good idea and I've I've been following you for a while and I love your message. And I, after learning a little bit more about you and kind of just preparing for this interview and, you know, following you for a while, I know that you have a pretty strong why as far as why you got into the fitness industry and you were in insurance prior, I believe. Mm -hmm. So yep. you talk to me a little bit about like that transition and what brought you to where you are. Yeah, th this is such a great question. And and I want to explain this in a way that doesn't bring down the viewers slash listener, because it's important to understand me. And it's also important to understand, you know, how 
relatively goofy I am, right? And it, you know, it's just a character trait for me. But you know, to to your point, I had a rocky road coming in here to the wellness industry. I, I was working in finance. I, I am a uh, I am an engineering major who was kicked out of his engineering department in, in school. Uh, gent gently offered the opportunity to switch majors by the dean of engineering. Uh, he's, I was like, no, I like engineering. He said, no, Mr. Jones, I don't think you understand. We strongly suggest you pursue another major. Uh, so I hope that gives my future clients out there confidence, knowing that I failed out of a scientific program. You're welcome. Um, ended up in business, loved it, majoring in business, helping me a lot now, as I'm sure you might imagine. Um, and I was working in financial sector, right? Insurance services. More specifically, I was sort of a... Um, I was a sales instructor for an international insurance company. So I would take agents and teach them the ropes of, you know, um, marketing, selling, et cetera, et cetera. But I was working in, a, in an overtly toxic environment. Like it was harsh. It was, it was every movie you've ever seen that was a romantic comedy about a guy that worked in business, you know, office space. Uh, you, you name it, any of them and all of them. It was, it was really a tough situation. I excelled in the environment. Um, however, I started to experience these losses. As a matter of fact, my first promotion, I remember I was, I was out with a, with a new trainee and I was taking him from house to house. At that time, we would go into people's homes. We would sit down. They had pre-scheduled appointments. Uh, we sit down and explain things to them. I'm, I'm taking this kid out uh, who happened to be my girlfriend's uh, younger brother at the time. Um, he's still her younger brother. She's not my girlfriend. Just to clear that up. That's, I know how that sounded. Uh, why did she get rid of her brother? No, they, they both discarded me. Um, but I was working with him and uh, got a call from her. And she said, your brother's had a heart attack. My older brother, Rodney. Rodney was 18 years older than me. I was a surprised baby. Yeah, <laughs> she's like, I can't imagine that. Yes, my mother was sending a child to college as she sent one into the world. And I cannot picture that. Hats off to her. But in any case, my brother had a, had a heart attack. And I said, oh my gosh, he had a heart attack. She said, yeah, Rodney had a heart attack. I said, okay, I'm headed home. And she paused for a few moments and she said, he didn't make it. Uh, and my, my brother died while I was doing that work for that crappy company. I didn't leave the company, but obviously that was a, you know, that's a shock. Um, it, and, and full transparency, because I want people to understand this, because I think it, I think it'd be helpful. Um, there was some rift with my older brother in the family at this point. So I had not spoken to my brother in months. Right. And, if, you know, and I, I don't believe a lot in, in regret necessarily. Right. But but I do understand it gave me a good lesson of how finite life is. Right. But also how we interact with people and how we make them feel and how we reach across the aisle, so to speak. Uh, to make peace, the extension of the olive branch. I don't even know what happened. I just got on the list with the rest of our family. And, you know, the next time I saw my brother, he was he was in a casket. Um, and that's just a that's a shocking experience for for someone, um, you know, and this was after my mother had already had a stroke. So my mother had a debilitating stroke about seven or eight years prior to that. And she was living with my brother and his wife full time. So my sister, who had who had been a drug addicted abuser uh, for many years, which led to my mother having a previous stroke, uh, she's rehabilitated at this point. She's living with her husband in my home city, and my mom moved in with her. Four years after that, I'm working the same job. 
I get a call from my sister, right? Uh, and my sister was really talkative. Uh, we already discussed and I'm quite the introvert. You might not be able to tell from this appointment, this meeting, uh, but I saved it all up for this podcast today. Um, she called me and, uh, and she had had a, she'd had a, a drunk driving incident uh, weeks prior to the extent that her husband had me come and check on her. And, you know, can you talk to Robin? You know, she hit a parked car and I'm concerned about her because she leaves the house and she, okay, I'll, I'll talk to her. Had a conversation with her. You know, three or four weeks later, she calls me at night, a Friday night. And I talked to her for about 20 minutes. Uh, and she said, I love you. And I said, I love you, Robin. Trust me, I'm getting to a point here for the, for the viewers and listeners. Um, that was about 9.15, we disconnected the call. At 9.40, I got a call from her husband, which was commonplace because my sister was so talkative. She would talk until the phone was dead, right? Um, and then she would call back on her husband's phone. I said, hey, Alvis, what's going on? And he was crying. I said, what's wrong, man? Um, Robin got into an accident. She didn't make it. In between the time that I had that conversation with my sister, the 20 minutes that passed, my sister, who was intoxicated at the time, I didn't know, swerved off of the road, um, probably 200 feet from the turn into her, uh, to her at a home, very calm. Away. Most of these accidents happen in close proximity to people's homes. Swerved off the road, hit a tree, and she died instantly. Um, she's, it's the middle of the night. Um, I, I call my best friend because my mother is staying there now, right? And my mother, who has this effect from the stroke, you know, she's, she's not always cognizant. So I was tasked with the, with the, with the unenviable um, conundrum of telling my mother that her second child had died in an accident in the middle of the night. Mm. So I drove home. I picked my best friend up. I picked up my uncle, my mother's brother. And they, they both said, let's, why don't we sleep tonight, right? Get up in the morning. We'll have something to eat. We'll go with you to support you in this, in this, uh, in, in this task. And I, I remember going to, to that home, um, distraught brother-in-law, obviously, uh, my mother, who was in bed at the time, and I said, uh, Mom, I've got to tell you something. Um, and I couldn't tell her. So my uncle explained it to her. He said, uh, you know, Robin died last night. She, she said, no, not my daughter, because she's here. She's been here all night. I said, Mom, she's, she's not here. And it's so ironic, as that conversation was playing out, the news showed the story of my sister, a, a Winston-Salem, North Carolina woman, lost her last life last night on Blankety blank road after she hit a tree while being, you know, and, and I remember my mother looking at the screen, trying to comprehend and looking back at me and saying, it's just me and you now. Uh, and I remember how sort of devastating that that language was, you know, shortly after that, my brother-in-law, Alvis, who was a dialysis patient, stopped taking his treatment out of grief and he died 90 days to the date. After my sister died, my mother's got no home now. I live in a city far away from where they live. And my mother's health is declining rapidly from this point. She goes into extended care, extended palliative care, because she needed around-the-clock care that I couldn't provide. And, um, you know, I'm sitting beside her hospital bed in the last year of her life, having amazing conversations that most young men probably don't get an opportunity to have with their mother about everything. And an NASM commercial comes up on the screen. National Academy of Sports Medicine. I'm sitting there watching football in the hospital, fall of 2013. And it's like the commercial was talking to me, right? Have you considered being a trainer? I was like, yeah, I have. Are you concerned about the cost involved? Like, I am concerned about the cost. What if there's a way you could pay it in increments? I'd love that. You know, call the 800. I called the 800 number from my mother's bedside, 
right? I get enrolled in a personal trainer certification um, February, uh, February 21st of 2014. My mother dies March 17th. I passed my proctored exam for NESM. I cried all the way home from that testing site, you know, feeling like, okay, I can do something with this legacy of trauma that I've experienced. Um, and ever since then, I've been pouring all that energy out into the people that I get an opportunity to, to help. And for me, that population has been primarily women over 30, almost exclusively mothers, um, because I feel like I can have a generational effect mm. on these families in terms of helping their mother find normalcy in movement and nutrition that can be passed down uh, easily instead of the neuroses that's usually passed down. Mom's on the scale again. Mm -hmm. Oh, mom can't eat this. She won't eat that. Um, she's on a new diet. Uh, and that just breaks my heart. And I felt it was the most appropriate way to honor all of those people. You know, my brother was 18 years older. My sister was 13 years older. And obviously my mother, all of these people that poured so much good stuff into me, I felt that it would be disrespectful for them to collapse under the weight of these incidents. In addition to therapy, let's go shout out to therapy, right? Um, you know, so I know that's a long answer and none of the other answers will be that long, but I wanted to make sure that I gave clarity to that for the people who might be watching or listening. Um, I think our shared humanity is more important than any idea. And we talked about this before we hit the, the record button than any any type of perfection that we might be able to, that we might try to convey yeah. in a social media society. I've been through shit, man, yeah. you know, and you're going to go through shit out there if you're listening, right? It's, it, it's, it's a differentiation between reacting and responding. And mm -hmm. I'll land the plane there and let you talk more on your show. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, it's so important because the, exactly like what you said, I think, I think social media has done great things, especially for, you know, I'm, I'm an introvert as well. So especially for the more introverted among us who are not the type to maybe be a classic personal trainer in a gym and go approach people when they're using a machine, the quote unquote wrong way and all of that. Right. Um, but it also gives people this impression that, you know, lives are better than they are. And that, you know, people oftentimes think fitness professionals are just naturally self-motivated and naturally fit. And often, I mean, a lot of them are, but they're often pretty bad at their jobs. And we can talk about that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, but, you know, something that you said brought up a memory for me too. Um, I lost my mom pretty, pretty young. Mm -hmm. And um, we had a conversation when she was in the hospital and she was asking me something about the future. It was like, you know, something about um, the, something that I was excited about and I was kind of telling her about it. And then we had this moment where we went silent, silent for a second and I saw her face kind of fall. And then I felt it too. And I realized, wow, she's, she's not gonna be around for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's so important to say though. Like it's, it's so important for you to say that First of all, let me say, I love the way that you address pain and how it's been a consistent part of your life in terms of us not trying to present a perfect ideal of what a coach is. But, but second, just you saying that, right? You know, because there are these moments of realization at the end of our existence, right? And you've had the experience that's probably, uh, most assuredly, I know that it's, 
it's it's colored the lens of how you see day-to-day things, right? You know, you there's just the juice is a little bit more sweet. The sunlight is a little bit more warm, right? Um, but the realization that I had in that room, my mother, that she was in the last place that she would ever be. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you can speak to this. There's just something that changes you when you realize at some point in my life, I will be in the last place that I'm ever gonna be. I will not meet a new person. I will not go to a new place. I will not taste a new food, drink a new drink. I will never have a new experience again in this existence. And witnessing that, I don't know, and I don't know how young you were, but witnessing that, I can only imagine that it's sort of you carry that perspective with you. Cause I know that I do. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you I think there's a there's an unfortunate maybe belief in our society. And I think it's changing a little bit now, especially with the pandemic and people having this realization that like, wow, things aren't just going to be the way I think they're going to be all the time. Um, but I, I, I remember having a dream kind of right when the pandemic started. And I don't know if the two were related, but I was looking at myself. I was talking to myself, which was weird. I don't usually do that in dreams. Most of my dreams are like, I'm on a a boat, you know, and someone's a fairy, you know, whatever. Um, But like, I was talking to myself and I, and the only thing I remember is I said, you barely remember the first 28 years of your life because you've just been living kind of waiting for the next thing to happen. And I think that's the mindset that we get into is like, well, I'm just going to work really hard when I'm young and then I'll enjoy it when I'm older. But then you kind of realize if you have those experiences like you and I have, what if that never happens, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, was that kind of part of what made you, what what made you say yes to that like NASM commercial and finally switch careers and all of that? It, it really was. And and I, I didn't I didn't tell all of it. My brother got me into fitness when I was young. You know, you're five years old, your brother's 22 or 23, you're gonna look up to him, right? And my brother was a basketball player uh, in in small college, but still he was tall and he was athletic and I was five or six years old and he said, hey man, if you start exercising now, by the time you get to be my age, you'll be strong. And you know, a little five, six year old kid, I was like, hmm, so. You know, like my, this idol, this giant person, because my brother was six feet tall. I'm I'm five seven, so obviously at five or six, I you know, I was treading along the Arnold Drummond slash Emmanuel Lewis height ratio. Like I, I went, for those that don't get the reference, uh, that's those are short people. Uh, cause I'm a '70s baby and an '80s kid, so I use '80 re- '80s references sometimes. But in any case, um, you know, so that he was you know legendary to me. Right. So I started doing my my five pushups and my 10 sit ups at night. Right. And then when I got into high school, I'm a band geek. Right. I'm a musician. Uh, all of my friends were football players, American football players. And after a band rehearsal and football practice, I would never see them. Like, where do you guys go? We go to the weight room. What's that? Well, that's where we lift weights. We exercise. I was like, can I go to the weight room? They say, yeah, sure. Anybody at the high school can go to the weight room. So you picture it's 1989, 90. We've got 14 and 15 year old boys and they're giving me all the wrong information. And I know it's wrong. Uh, and then I started to subscribe to magazines, you know, uh, mm-hmm. muscle and fitness, men's fitness, men's health unit, because I wanted to consume the information. I've, had, I've got a ravenous mind. And as I'm learning, 
right? From professionals with letters behind their names in these magazines. I don't understand the letters, but as I'm learning, I start to apply some of this and I got pretty knowledgeable. So along the course of me doing business, I was already exercising. I started at 15, I'm 47 now. I've just never stopped exercising. So that was already sort of in me. So I, so I became the guy at work that people would ask questions, except I knew what the answer was. Uh, and, um, and so when I saw that commercial, you know, bingo, jackpot, yeah. that's me. Ready for it. That's, that's a great question. I'm, I'm so glad you asked that question because I forgot that complete side of the story. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, that's it's huge. And so something I notice with new coaches, and I, I'm curious if this was the case for you, but something I notice a lot with newer trainers is that they get into the industry and they think, cool, I'm going to be able to work out all the time. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be really easy to make money. You know, there's going to be, you have all these kind of like misconceptions and then you get into it and you're like, oh my God, I don't know. I, I know how to do this stuff myself, but I don't really know how to tell it to someone else. Like you kind of look stupid for a while and then you get better. <laughs> so what was your initial kind of path into the fitness world? Like, did you have any adjustment period like that? You know, he, here's, here's where I benefited. Um, mm -hmm. number one, I was old already. Uh, so, so that's good. If you, right. want, if you want your next career to take off, people just wait till you're old to do it. Yeah. And you, you won't care about a lot of stuff, but right. no, you know, literally I was 39 when I passed in mm. March 17th. And then I turned 40 in April. Mm. Right. So as I came into the business, I was already old. So I didn't, I didn't have any misnomers about how challenging business would be. The second thing was I came from a sales environment mm -hmm. and, and what really jacks up for all the potential trainers out there, here's what you're going to hate sales, yeah. right? You are in the sales business. Mm -hmm. Your product is wellness, right? If you're not in the sales business, you're an employee at a gym and you might hate it for a little while or you may love it. If you're really young, it's awesome, right? Sure. But my 40 year old body didn't want to stand up for 10 hours a day. Right. So I never worked at a gym, mm. not once ever. I got hired to work, fill in at some boutique places, um, mm. you know, smaller gyms, one person owned type deals. But I never worked for your global gym. You know, uh, you, you guys know the names, whether it's Equinox or Golds or I never did that. So I had an advantage because I already worked a commission job. Mm -hmm. I was teaching sales. Right. Uh, and I was deriving some income from the previous, uh, from the previous job, mm -hmm. because I don't know what you guys know about insurance, but if I sold you a whole life insurance policy, you mm -hmm. keep it for your whole life, you pay for it for your whole life. I get a little piece of that money for your whole life. Mm -hmm. uh, so those things were advantageous for me where I was wrong, <laughs> where the misconceptions were wrong for me was I came in thinking, oh, I'm going to work with athletes. Uh, and I've never been an athlete, right? I don't even speak it, right? Yeah. So I, I had a misunderstanding of sort of dream delusions of grandeur uh, mm. <laughs> coming into the fitness space. Like I give it a couple of years, you know, and I'll be training people like Cam Newton for the Panthers, right? Mm -hmm. And, and it, it, the industry doesn't work like that. Um, <laughs> so that's, right. that's more so where my challenges were. Mm. And, and, then, uh, and then after a while, I just, I submitted, you know, I submitted to what it felt like the universe was bringing to me. Mm. You 
that you're build incessant cheerleading that your that your sister gave you all through life uh your mother's medical background both personally and the fact that she was a registered nurse for 30 years and was really skilled in terminology and simplifying explanation of medical situations even after the stroke i could ask my mother any medical question and she could break it down with such such brevity in such a concise clear way immediately understand exactly what a complex issue was i inherited that from her i'm mm -hmm. thankful for that because that's not a skill that i learned she gave me that and that's been advantageous for me too um that's just such another great question though especially for for trainers for the i'm sure the population of wellness professionals that that follow your uh your your broadcast um because that does happen a lot man you come in and it's all different but fundamentally trainers understand this is a sales position mm -hmm. this is a business sales marketing position your product is your wellness until such a time as you work long enough that you're not obligated to sell quite as feverishly yeah. and hopefully you last to that point yeah yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just, it's just something you got to get over, you know? Um, and I, I don't know. I, I mean, that explains a little bit more to me because something that I've been wondering about with you as well is like, there are, there are male trainers that target women, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you seem to understand the demographics so well. And I've always been curious about that because you had mentioned like how I kind of put my pain at the forefront. The reason I started doing that is, is that I had been in the fitness industry for, you know, eight years or so. And a client of mine would get injured, for example. And every single time they would make a comment like, oh, you don't understand, you know, oh yeah, my back hurts, but you don't really understand that you're young. Right. And I was just like, they really like, I've had more surgeries than all of you in here. <laughs> like I'm a senior citizen by this point, but they didn't know. And it actually helped build up trust because I was the person that was going through it. And I've had most injuries that they have and all of that. But for you, like, that explains a little bit more, but like, how do you put yourself in women's shoes so much? Right. You know, it, uh, it first I've never gone through womanhood. Yeah. Uh, so, so that is, you know, explains the depth of the question that I've just been asked. Uh, and for those that are, you know, I'm not judging to each their own. Um, but I've never been through womanhood. So yeah. and this is, this is another clue. It, it's like, you know, it's almost like the universe, I'm coming to understand that it's almost like the universe leaves little breadcrumbs, right? If you trail back to other previous instances in your life, um, you can see how the bricks were being laid for the path that you took. So the house I grew up in, like I said, uh, f first of all, my mother and father got divorced when I was five. Mm. My father is an amazing uh, AME Zion minister. Uh, we have a fantastic relationship. They just didn't live together, right? Uh, they just didn't live together. So I'm in a house with a 70 plus year old grandmother, my mother's mother. I'm in a house with a menopausal mother, right? By the time I'm nine or 10, my mother had me at 38. She's 48 by the time I'm nine or 10. So I realized the air conditioning keeps going up and down during the course of the day, right? Uh, I would go outside in the summer to warm up. 
Uh, my mother's having hot flashes or hot flushes, depending on which terminology you prefer. Um, mm-hmm. I'm in the house with a sister who's 13 years older than me. I'm mm-hmm. 10, she's 23-ish, you know, so I'm seeing my sister go through what arguably the worst menstrual cycles I've ever seen in any adult woman. My sister had very bad symptoms. Mm-hmm. I learned at an early age how to fill up, this is dating myself, uh, how to fill up a hot water bottle, um, you know, how to, how to shake on the edge of the bed to soothe the, the cramps. She had horrible cramps. Mm-hmm. I've got the menopausal mother. I've got the grandmother who's in her 70s. And I don't know what you guys know about Black grandmothers, but she could give a flying about anything. She, grandma has zero. Mm-hmm. I, I, I won't say the word, but she's got zero, right? So, and my brother, who's 18, again, when I was born, he's headed to college. He's living in the college city as a post-college graduate, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm in the house with these three life stages of women all the time. And I'm a quiet kid. I'm an introvert. I'm in the corner with a comic book, but these ears always perked up. I'm hearing conversations about men. I'm hearing conversations about menstrual cycles. I'm hearing conversations about menopause, conversations about how I was treated on the job, what my boss said, what my boyfriend did, you know, you know, and I'm just sponging these lifestyle experiences of these three amazingly strong and transparent women. Um, and I think that really prepared me for empathy for, for you know, I took a Girls Gone Strong course recently. Uh, shout out to Molly Gabriel, she's also a friend of mine. Um, I took a Girls Gone Strong course. And in that course, they mentioned the concept of cultural humility, right? And, and cultural humility in a sense is my understanding that I cannot understand what you deal with on a daily basis. I'm mm-hmm. being humble. And the fact that I'm receiving what you're telling me is the truth of your existence and attempting to learn, uh, diving into empathy, but realizing that I cannot experience it, right? Um, That's been sort of a mantra of my life. Generally speaking, it came in handy with those experiences. and, And then subsequently, my study of women specifically, reading things like um, Vagina Bible by Dr. Jen Gunter. Um, menopause manifesto by her. I'm in that book right now, you know, soaking up Brene Brown, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Reading, you know, taking a certification for Girls Gone Strong, level one, coaching and training women's fitness specialists. Um, You know, reading literature by Dr. Stacey Sims, who's sort of foremost in menopause and athletes and women's function. Greatest quote I've ever heard, women are not small men uh, in terms of training. Like, so part of it was my lived experience the other part of it was once I locked in on the population I was going to serve, uh, the blinders come off, the tunnel becomes narrow, and you drill down deep into the well. That's what I advise the coaches that I work with from a business mentoring perspective. Um, and just really wanting to pour out what was poured into me. I didn't mention this, uh, and I don't, again, it's not to depress the room, but my younger sister, I lost her in February of 2020. So two years ago, my younger sister passed away, Hmm. you know, so these women were foundational for me in every way. And I, I think what I'm trying to do, because I think a lot of us as coaches, we have a sense of hero complex, right? We, we have a, we have an obligation that we want to save people. Hmm. And, and in my mind, when I think about the people that I'm going to save, I think about Donika, 
I think about Robin and I think about my mother, uh, mm-hmm. Barbara, and it makes me want to know how, if I had the opportunity, I'll say this and then I'll, then I'll land it. I think that great coaches become what they needed at the most difficult periods in their life, right? Would, would you agree with that? It's pretty, yep. you know, um, whatever need we could not supply that has affected us in a way, I think we dig down into that rabbit hole. And what I needed was somebody that was relatively easygoing, charismatic, funny, knew their literature, right? Because my, my mother would call you out on the science, mm-hmm. knew their literature, but was able to, a, to apply a sense of grace over discipline mm-hmm. for my mother because she wasn't an obese woman. She smoked most of her adult life until she had the stroke. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't really ever see her exercise, do dedicated exercise. And that's the personality type and the perspective that a coach would have had to have to help my mother not experience what she did, which subsequently, you know, it, it colored the lens of what I experienced, you know, with bathing my mother, changing her adult diapers when she was alive. I do it all again. But I know that there are moms out there that don't wish that specific type of experience on their offspring. And that's how I built my way to what appears to be a, a great understanding of a demographic that I'll never belong to, that, mm-hmm. that I don't have shared experiences with. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that answer makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I love the way you phrase that, that great coaches become what they needed at, at the time in their life when they, they really needed it or however you phrase that. That's mm-hmm. beautiful. Um, it's a kind of another way. And I think a more compassionate way of saying, you know, kind of your target demographic is usually a past version of yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and I, that's, it's super powerful. And you know, similarly, I watched my, my mom was, was obese. Um, mm-hmm. and she spent a lot of probably the last decade of her life in bed. She just had really no desire to leave the house. Um, she didn't understand my career in fitness. She was kind of like, what are you doing for the world? She just didn't get it. Right. Um, and I, I've <laughs> thought over the last couple of years, because people with the connective tissue disorder that I have, there's sometimes we'll have orthostatic issues where like mm-hmm. we have trouble standing and things like that. Um, and I, I, if I have a day where I'm having really bad symptoms like that, I'm just like, nope, that is not my fate. I'm going to figure out how I can do something like mm-hmm. I cannot, I, I can't relive that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I totally agree. I think sometimes you've got to see it firsthand or experience something. And then that's really what kind of hooks you and gives you that, that drive. And it's not just about, I really, you know, I, I mean, I've had, a couple of coaches that I've mentored and stuff that were like, I don't know, I just really liked working out. And so I decided to do it for a career and they don't usually last long. <laughs> this is it's, an emotional thing. It, it's not a great basis for what we do for, for sure. Like that's, Absolutely. that ain't going to cut it. Um, do, yeah. do you, do you feel like, um, do you feel like in the absence of those experiences, like the, the specific experience with your mother? And I know I'm not supposed to be asking questions, but this is what I do. I mean, we're having a conversation here. Let's do it. <laughs> we're, we're homies. Um, do you feel like in the absence of that experience, you could ever, could you have ascended to the level of quality as a coach? Do you think in the absence of having that experience with your mom? 
I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, I think the, the combination of the amount of pain I had experienced firsthand since I was 16 and seeing what could be if I just laid back into that pain, um, that combination is, is what makes me so passionate about helping others. Yeah, what about you? Same, same. Yeah. And, I, and, and to, your, to your point, I think that's why a lot of, you know, I think that's why a lot of coaches don't last in this business. Um, I just don't think it happens without some deep seated why. And I think that's, I think that's the reason that some of your favorite coaches out there, folks are, um, are just coming off of working through Forex and are headed towards cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. Um, you know what I mean? Like it's, (laughs) <laughs> no, no shade. I got some crypto in my wallet, you know, no, no shade, but you know, I, I think that's what moves people along the track of different businesses yeah. really quickly. Like I, I don't, I am in my mind, I'm not allowed to do something else from this point forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that it, um, I believe it's, it would be disrespectful to the people who are gone that pour it into me. Um, I, I don't know your thoughts on that, but it, you know, that's how I think about it. Mm, yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, it's, it's powerful. And I, I totally agree. This is, this is more of a job where I feel like a skill of instilling coping mechanisms, mm-hmm. um, and instilling kind of teaching people how to think is, a, is, it's such a huge part of it that I think if you don't have that why, you're probably not going to have the patience or the empathy yeah. for that, right? Yeah. It's, it's impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, you, I don't, I want to be careful with my words here. <laughs> so, I don't know if my clients are going to hear this. Um, you know, you're, you're initially much more likely to be frustrated mm-hmm. than you are satisfied as a coach that has a deep centered why and a real passion for people because this is not an industry where only the science can lead you to success. Mm -hmm. There's so much psychology and so many intersections of belief systems and traumas um, and identities uh, that it's much more likely to frustrate the coach that does not have the deep and, and what you'll get from that coach, and I don't mean this disrespectfully to any coaches who have said this, you'll get statements like, I can't want this more for you than you want it for yourself. Mm. Or, well, Deborah's doing awesome on the same program. Why can't you be more like Deborah? Like, that's frustration rising out of a coach with all the credentials, mm-hmm. all, probably all the information, but the lack of that deep why that will drive them when the tank is empty. Um, the, the fumes are the why the tank is going to empty from time to time. And if you don't have those fumes of the why, um, you're probably going to stop there as a coach. Uh, so I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly on that point. Um, yeah. (laughs) So I have, I mean, I have a, a question that I don't think I've, you know, really addressed with anyone on the podcast and selfishly, it's kind of for my knowledge too. So I'm, I'm getting free services from you right now. Do it, do it. So I know peripherally, it's not my niche, right? But I know Mm -hmm. peripherally that training women, particularly around our cycles and everything can, you know, like 
a lot of fitness has largely ignored that. And I love that it's actually being talked about now. Um, but a lot of my, a lot of my audience are, are women and are, and are people that deal with chronic pain or other type of chronic illnesses. And I know that for me, something that's been tough to balance over kind of my journey in fitness and wellness is when is it a good idea to let my body rest? And when is it a, a better idea to convince myself to move? Because most days it's the latter. I, I've, right. I've never, I'm just not the type of person that wakes up really excited to go to the gym later. I never have been that person. Right. Um, so how would you say there's any rules or is there a framework you use around that? Absolutely. So first of all, I love this question. Second, I, I want to start with a statement that I think will sort of color the entirety of the answer. And that is, generally speaking, less than less than 25% generally, or around 25% of all research done in way by way of supplements, by way of exercise, nutrition is conducted on women. So let's start there, like 25% or less generally, because of things like hormonal profile, right? Menstrual cycle, um, in some cases, menopause and that hormonal profile, because of the fact that that can complicate research data so much because of the fluctuations over the course of the month, most researchers are like, let's just get some 25 year old dudes, mm -hmm. right? So understand that first, we are definitely underserving women as a population in terms of research. Almost any research that you see about fitness, wellness, et cetera, just assume it's predicated on a 25-year-old male. Let's start there. Um, second, in terms of training and your cycle, there's no definitive research that points exactly to a phase of the cycle where it's going to be optimal to do one thing or the other exercise-wise. And we're looking at your follicular phase before ovulation, ovulation, the luteal phase that follows. There's not definitive research that says, yes, for sure, you will have greater endurance during this phase, greater. Now I've seen, I've seen research that where people are, are conveying that there are specific times when things are better, better or worse. <clears throat> I'd have to say, I'm putting on my researcher hat, most of that is anecdotal. Mm -hmm. And again, you'll find equal research on any side of that. Now, here's what's interesting, which is why I like that you asked this question. The nutritional piece, we have some very definitive data there. And women are probably right. <laughs> I was like, whoo. And so, and, and the ladies out there listening probably know this intuitively. We know that a few things happen really during that luteal phase. So like after ovulation, the egg doesn't get fertilized. You go into the luteal phase. That's your next step. Or you're having a baby soon. That's your next step. One of those two things happen. That luteal phase, about 14 days, generally speaking, sort of the latter part of that luteal phase, we know that a few things happen. One is really interesting. Your metabolic rate increases. Mm -hmm. it's, it's been shown to increase as much as 500 to 700 calories. So if you're not digging what I'm dropping out there, ladies, I'm saying your, your metabolism goes up. It you run, runs hotter, faster, however you want to look at it, which is amazing. You're thinking, yeah, that's, that's great. You know, I'm burning more calories daily during this sort of the back half of that phase. The compromise there is that estradiol drops mm -hmm. uh, and progesterone drops in this second half of your luteal phase. So what happens, the stomach has an easier and quicker time emptying out carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. Also, it's more challenging for your bloodstream to maintain carbohydrate levels, whether you look at that as 
glucose or glycogen. I won't get all sciencey on you guys, um, but for the professionals out there, oh, okay. Um, so your body's dumping out carbs faster. It's harder to maintain carbs. Your metabolism increases, and where does your hunger go? Right on up with that metabolism. So it's also well documented that the average woman will eat about 250 more calories per day during this luteal phase. Some people call it the premenstrual phase, right? Um, so you've got this trifecta of events, this Bermuda, Bermuda triangle of angst. You're hungrier, right? You might not feel all that awesome, but you might, but you're hungrier. Your metabolism's higher, yay. Carbohydrates are what your body are, is craving. Mm -hmm. This is a biological reaction to this phase of your menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. And some of you are gonna be savory carbohydrate lovers. Some of you are sweet. So for some folks, it's the chocolate, donuts, cake, pies, cookies. For some folks, it's the chips, you know, the fries, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it's absolutely normal. Hmm. But you have to, what I, what I try to impart to the ladies that I get the opportunity to work with is the fact that, yes, your cravings are going to, this is the cravings time for a lot of, a lot of women. And again, I can't even say this across the board because every woman has an individualized experience. But generally speaking, generally speaking, you'll see this. Um, and I tell them, hey, look, it's okay because your, me your metabolic rate's increasing too. Your ability to burn off these calories is increasing. Mm -hmm. Number two, it's not you. This is not a lack of willpower. This is not you're a bad person. This is not you can't stick to your plan. This is biology speaking to you on behalf of the species, on behalf of evolution and procreation, right? Because body fat hormonally is helpful for all reproductive activity. You know, your libido, desire, um, your ability to, to regulate sexual hormone function, the ability to produce breast milk is all dependent typically on a certain amount of body fat. So you're sort of hardwired after evolution realized, well, there's no baby. We can't do this without a baby. We're not evolving. We, we're not shooting the species for, nobody's procreating. Make her hungrier. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's get a little bit more body fat. Maybe that's what's not going on here. Get a little bit more body fat. She'll feel a little bit more randy. Uh, and uh, we'll get something going. You know, yeah, baby. Yeah. So understand that this is biology taking, because so many women feel so, uh, I, I don't know, like guilty about a biological craving. And I had this conversation with a colleague earlier today. You know, this is a patriarchal standard. Mm. nobody is judging men for craving anything mm. we indulge our cravings that's what men do you're a manly man get a big burger you know <laughs> even restaurant eat like a man you know you desire that woman go go grab her take her that's your be an alpha right yeah. women oh you're so morally wrong for craving anything right that's a different podcast that we could have another time mm. but on in, in the context of you know, your menstrual cycle, you hear things on both sides about physical activity. And I've seen things on both sides. There's nothing definitive there yet um, that I'm aware of. Let me color it with that lens too. To my knowledge at this time, per the data that I've read, there's no indication there. Tomorrow I could come back and say something completely different because mm. it's science, right? Um, but that nutrition stuff, oh yeah, you, <laughs> you see some changes there. Um, that's yeah. such a great question. I'm, I'm glad I got to share that. Thank you so much for asking. You teed one up for me and I appreciate you doing that. Uh, <laughs> and like... I wasn't, you know, now I feel very validated. <laughs> you know, it's, 
it is it is interesting there is a lot of there is a lot of research that people don't really seem to care about you know even um i don't know if you've read the female brain um I haven't but yeah oh it's so good um but it, it also oh, kind of talks about the neurochemical changes that happen during that time and why premenstrual syndrome is real for a lot of people. And it's not just us choosing to be mean for no reason. And um, yeah, no, that's, that's super, super interesting. Um, I love that. So ladies, if you're listening, that's, (laughs) this is good. This is good stuff. Well, I know, you know, I know I don't have unlimited time with you and I've taken up so much of your time Um, and I think, you know, we, we should do a part two because this is amazing. Um, But before we get into the rapid fire questions, I am curious, you know, about where people can find you. um, How do people get coaching from you? All of that. Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me anywhere if you type in fitness Jones training. I know it's a weird name, but it's what I got so far. Um, and uh, that's on so- Facebook, Instagram, um, you know. Um, website, what's right? Your we- website, fitnessjonestraining.com. Just fitness Jones training. And I've, I've done enough damage now. <laughs> I've annoyed enough people where I'm easily found on Google. Uh, <laughs> so I've, I did that. Yeah, I searched for your name and you like you were indexed right up there. Yeah, like, yeah, okay. Yeah, if you annoy enough humans, you get a higher ranking. And I've certainly fit that bill uh, over the course of my career. So yeah, yeah, easy, easy to find me. And I enroll every four weeks. So once a month, I enroll, I just ended an enrollment period. I don't know when this broadcast will air. But can I say the date here? Is that allowed? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, right. I didn't know if that was a faux pas. Um, So uh, it's, uh, well, first of all, I need to know what the date is. It's 28th of February. So as we're recording this, I didn't know what the date was. So I just enrolled last week. So, you know, relatively four weeks from now, I'll be enrolling another cohort of women. I primarily work with women over 30. If they're a gentleman listening, I apologize. Uh, I don't work with gentlemen. Um, not anymore, at least yet. So that's how you can find me. And that's how, that's how we can get linked up, but just come and give a follow, you know, come and teach me some things, correct my language, uh, help me better understand the things that I don't understand. I'm always absorbing great information from the amazing, amazing women that I get the opportunity to speak with on a daily basis. I, I really do I really do hold in high value the everyday conversation that I'm able to have um, because I, I don't think that I could ever deploy enough empathy. Um, you know, so te- teach me more, correct me often. Uh, I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah. That's what mom would want. And just, you know, shameless plug, Ren's free content, even if you can't, you know, if, you, if you're not into coaching right now or whatever it is, your free content is wonderful. So um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, follow and like and subscribe and all of that. Um, all right. Well, final part of the podcast is our rapid fire questions. Are you ready? I feel like this is a test. I'm, I, you know, do, <laughs> do I get a pass or fail after this? Like, I'll I'm competitive in this way. I just don't know what else to call them. You can take as much time as you want to answer them, but they're just the same every time. So yeah, I'll answer quickly. No wrong answers. Um, All right. right. So the the first question is, what do you feel is the currently the biggest common misconception or lie in the fitness industry? That you have to, I'm going to say a bad word. Is that okay? Okay. 
All right. That you have to beat the shit out of your body to, uh, to get results. Um, wellness does not equate to suffering. And for some reason, we associate it with suffering. We must suffer through what we're allowed to eat or not allowed to eat. We must suffer through our movement. We should suffer through a plan. I don't know where we got into this glorification of, you know, throwing up in a bucket after a workout, but it's the dumbest shit I've ever heard and has absolutely nothing to do with biomechanics, kinesiology, or set or science. Uh, it's just dumb. That's just a big misconception. Yeah. And not to mention, if you are listening, whether you're a trainer or a client, um, the easiest thing to do as a coach is to beat you up. Beat it's you up. the easiest thing does not take any skill whatsoever. So yes. if you have someone that's doing that, just reevaluate. <laughs> Please reevaluate. Yeah. Anybody can make you sore. Absolutely. Yeah. Just dumbish. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. No, I, I totally agree. Thank you for saying that. It's the first time we've heard that on the podcast. Um, what is the best advice you ever received regarding your uh, fitness or wellness? Make sure that whatever I'm doing, uh, I can do it for an extended period of time. Um, don't, don't take the, the sort of the short, hard road to prove something for a limited period of time, build my wellness protocol around the actual reality of what my life is. Um, mm -hmm. and I learned that at probably 20, um, from a, from a person who was a wellness professional at the time, uh, and that, well, he saw the youth on me and he was like, yeah, this kid doesn't know anything. And he's right. You know, he's right. Uh, but yeah, build, put, build it, build it into your life. Um, don't make it your life, but build it into your life, unless you want to be a wellness professional. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, that's a great one. If you can't do it, if you can't see yourself doing it for a long time, maybe rethink that for sure. Yeah. Right. Right. I love that. 15 to 47 is a long time. It is. Yeah. It's a long time. Love that. Um, what is something that you used to preach? I love this one. What's something that you used to preach to your clients that you no longer believe in? Um, that you had to eat every two hours to keep your metabolism going. Uh, totally not science. There's no yeah. science there. Your, your stomach doesn't have a clock and calories don't wear watches. I, it, it's just not true. And I say, well, let's break it up into six all meals. Stoke the fires of your metabolism. Yeah, that's not, that's not actual science. Yeah, it's, it's I not. I say that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Meal timing guys. It actually doesn't matter <laughs> uh, to be honest. So yeah, absolutely. Okay. Last one. What is your favorite quote and why? Um, it's a quote from Upton Sinclair. Hmm. And the quote is, it's difficult to get a man to understand something when his income depends on him not understanding it. Um, and that's my favorite quote because of all the tragic bullshit that I see on social media. Um, you know, people selling things that don't have anything to do with science, particularly people with credentials, people who have studied, gotten certified or went to school for this thing that we do and selling things to people that they know people don't need, uh, that they know don't follow any scientific data and selling it anyway. Um, it's difficult to get a man to understand something when his income depends on his not understanding. Um, they're just doing it for the dough. And I think that that's the worst. I think that's the worst compromise that a wellness professional can make uh, when people are entrusting their health to you. That's, that's such a hard one. And I, I see, you know, unfortunately, I think a lot of us could probably make a lot more money if, if oh, we absolutely. do that. 
you know, and I know I've been faced with that multiple times and getting into e-commerce in the last year or so. I see that a lot and I'm like, nope, I cannot manufacture anything that I don't think is going to be helpful. It's not something I can do. So, wow, that's, that is super powerful. I had not heard that quote before. Um, yeah, something to keep in mind, guys. <laughs> You're looking into getting into the industry for sure. Absolutely. I love that. Well, this was so much fun. Such a good conversation. Thank you so much. I hope you had a good time. I did, man. It was awesome. I, I'm already thinking about what the part two discussion is going to be like. Yeah. Uh, because this is awesome, awesome discussion. Thank, thank you so. I told you I was going to be easy, an easy interview. First of all, like just I just talk and talk and talk. Um, but um, yeah, man, I had such a good time, and I I feel I feel privileged to be amongst because you have really high quality guests on like on your show. I know Cassandra was recently, she's a friend of mine. Um, yeah, you have really high quality guests. So I'm privileged to be amongst them. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for coming. And yeah, stay tuned guys. I'm sure we'll be chatting again and make sure you give uh, Ren a follow on social media and uh, definitely like, and subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, all that happy stuff. All of it helps. And I hope all of you listening have a pain-free day. Thank you so much for listening today. I'd really appreciate it if you could like, subscribe, and leave a review on the podcast so that more people can hear us in the future. Have a pain-free day.